Amen. I hope you're in John chapter 21. And before we get there and read our passage, I need to ask you a question. Here's the question. Show of hands, who loves the post-credit movie scenes at the end of those? Hand shot straight up. I could have probably guessed who would raise their hands. Of course, what are the movies that this, they didn't invent it, but has become really perfected and popularized. It's Marvel. Yes, of course. For those of you unfamiliar, the post-credit movie scenes are after the film is over, the story is concluded, the credits begin to roll, but wait. All of a sudden, we see another scene. And I think these scenes are interesting because the best kind usually do one or two things. And that's this. First, they tie up a loose end. Okay? So imagine you've seen the movie, it's reached its rousing conclusion, and then all of a sudden somebody pops up and you're like, oh yeah, what did happen with that guy? Sometimes those post-credit scenes tie up a loose end. Second thing they do, and this is like, man, this is Marvel's bread and butter. I haven't seen all the Marvel movies, but this is what I think about, especially those early ones. The second thing they do is what? Point forward, right? What was that guy, the purple one? Thanos? Didn't Thanos show up like 40 years ago in the first movie and then wasn't in a movie until like two years ago? I'm out of my depth depth here. But the idea is that they either tie up a loose end or they point forward, right? John 21, what we're about to look at. Everybody just chill on the Marvel stuff, okay? Maybe I should have done more research, but you get the idea. Enough to know that John 21 is effectively John's post-credits scene. It's John's Gospels post-credit scene. He's written what we know as chapters 1 to 20. He's tied up the story's dramatic conclusion. He's told us that he's written all of this stuff so that we might see and believe. And most scholars actually believe that John or someone close to John added this post-credit scene to tie up a loose end with Mr. Peter as well as to point forward to the church's work ahead. And it also, in John 21, and this is where I want to spend our attention and focus this evening, it also shows us two snapshots of everyday life that somehow feel different in the light of Christ's resurrection. Not only does it tie up a loose end with Peter. Not only does John 21 point forward to the church's work, it shows us two snapshots of life on the other side of Christ's resurrection. Everyday life on the other side of Christ's resurrection. That's what we're going to see at work and at the table. And I hope that we'll, in these moments together, be inspired again to Keep our eyes open for the risen Christ in our everyday life, in work, and at the table. You with me? You good? Cool. Someone tell me about Thanos later. But for now, let's look at John chapter 21 and get into John's post-credits scene. I'm going to start in verse 1. We're not going to read the whole thing. I would encourage you to finish John's gospel on your own this evening. 
Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Maybe yours says Sea of Tiberias. Same thing. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, or the twin. We looked at him last week. Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. The seven of them. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to him, hey friends, haven't you any fish? Basically, he's like, hey guys, did you catch anything? No, they answered. He said, remember, they don't know it's Jesus. These are professional fishermen. And this guy on the shore says, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord! And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. Why is Simon Peter always jumping out of boats? When he sees Jesus, you got to love that, man. The other disciples followed in the boat because they didn't want to get wet. And they had to tow the net full of fish. For they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. So when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. So Jesus is already grilling breakfast. You with me? Verse 10. Jesus said to him, Bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. Pause there. A lot of people have some interesting speculation as to what that number may symbolize. But at its most basic level, you know what it symbolizes? A bunch of fish. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Can you imagine? Could you imagine walking up on Jesus' charcoal grill? You've been working all night. You had heard the stories, but this has been a few weeks by now. They've made it all the way back to their home base, many miles away up in Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, their home base, their familiar place. And all of a sudden, here's Jesus. They've got a ton of fish, and they hear him say, come have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord, but look, they also kind of didn't know. There's something about the resurrected Jesus that they recognize, but is somehow different. Have you noticed that in these stories? Let's round home. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. That sounds familiar. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. We see two snapshots of everyday life, in particular work and around a table that somehow feel different now that Christ has been raised. Now, I want to tell you one of Amy's theories. That's right. My Amy, Amy Wood. She has a theory that there are things in her life that have come full circle. Let me explain this and maybe you can think of some own things in your life that you feel like have come full circle. 
Basically, you arrive in some place or situation that you've had some touch point with before. You arrive in some place or situation where you started, but man, you've lived a lot of life and everything is different and new now. Have you kind of experienced this? Let me explain one of these stories that has led Amy to this theory. So 11 years ago, 10 or 11 years ago now, I was wrapping up seminary and I was working at different churches, doing music and different things, but I hadn't really landed a full-time position. And so randomly, my aunt's neighbor, you got that? My aunt's neighbor, who had seen me as a kid years and years ago, randomly asked my aunt, what is your nephew up to these days? She tells him, well, he does some worship music and preaching and teaching, and he's finishing seminary and he's looking for a job. My aunt's neighbor asks, hears this, and then says, that's crazy. The church I serve at, our worship leader just left last week. Maybe, I don't know, if he's looking for something, maybe I can get you in touch with somebody. Well, one thing leads to another, and I'm having lunch with a guy that's an interview, and it's going pretty well. And so then that interview went well enough where he's like, you know what, follow me back to the church. And if I'm lying, I'm dying. As this man is driving from where we ate to this church building, he calls a couple of my references and says, can he actually sing? Can he actually play guitar? Because we're kind of vibing, but like I didn't do the legwork of actually seeing. Can he do this? And thankfully, the guy answered and said, yes, he's capable. He won't run everybody out of the sanctuary. So he starts to walk me around this church and he goes, what are you doing this Sunday? And now all of a sudden, because of a random conversation from my aunt's neighbor and a fun job interview, and because this guy had answered the phone and vouched for me, I'm leading worship and wind up serving full-time, and it's my first full-time position as a pastor in a church. Now, imagine after that interview, I call Amy, I said, man, this is crazy. She goes, how did it go? I said, crazy. I'm going there this Sunday, and I guess you're coming with me. And she goes, well, what church is it? And I tell her the name of the church, and wouldn't you know it, she's silent on the other side of the phone. I said, whoa, what? And she goes, that's the first church I ever visited as a child. She had a picture of her grandmother walking her down the same hallway that I would walk hundreds of times. The first church that I serve in as a pastor, the first church that took me under the wing and they ordained me was the first church that my wife had ever visited. That's some crazy full circle stuff. We arrive at this familiar place. She walks in the familiar hall, but now everything is different. There's this new familiarity that's all of a sudden just feels different with new possibility. You with me on this? Now, this is exactly what's happening in the very place that Jesus met Simon Peter and some of these gentlemen fishing. But they had lived a lot of life. They had experienced all the ups and downs and highs and lows, and they return to their home base, but everything felt different. They're doing the same things they had done time and time again, fishing, 
eating, spending time together. But there was something different about this moment, this interaction that was colored with the light of new creation and resurrection. Because in this encounter, even though it was a familiar place, it was unfamiliar in the sense that suddenly Jesus is always at arm's reach. Jesus is always standing at the shore. Let's dive back into our story for the next couple minutes. So this is now a few weeks after Easter. Peter and six other disciples return to their home base and they go back to work. And like many of you fishermen today, they know that the best time to go fish is in the wee hours. You know what I'm talking about? Like crazy, dark, early. And so they get out there and they kind of return back to some normalcy after all of this craziness. They'd already seen Jesus a few times. They had heard about other people that had seen Jesus. But they're like, let's get back to our life. Now, as dawn starts peeking in, what? They hear a voice from the shore and he says, what? Did you catch anything? And they say, no. So then what does he say? You remember this? Put the net out to the other side of the shore, and then they get this huge catch at the Sea of Galilee. Okay, you ready? We heard that story, right? Raise your hand if you've heard that story elsewhere. If you have a paper Bible, turn back to Luke chapter 5. At the Sea of Galilee, three years before, Peter and his friends are on the Sea of Galilee. They have their fishing boats there, It's not in the wee hours, but they've come out from hard work and catching nothing. Jesus says, let me borrow your boat. He stands in the boat, and after some teaching, they go out into the lake, and he says, hey, put out your nets. And Peter says, we haven't caught anything. And then guess what? You ready? They get a huge catch on the Sea of Galilee. In Luke chapter 5, Peter goes, Whoa, you are unlike anyone I have ever seen. And then Jesus says, Don't be afraid. Now I'm going to give you a new job to fish for who? For people. Three years later, same place, another huge catch of fish, and Peter and John get it. They see this is like a Jesus thing. This is something that Jesus is always up to. We've seen him do this before. He is here. He shows up. He blesses us. He surprises us. And they see it and dive in. Here's what I want you to understand that I think that John is telling us in this post-credit scene. It's when they recognize God's blessing that they recognize the presence of Christ. If God is at work in our everyday places, we need to, get this, become detectives of divinity, dusting for God's fingerprints. You've seen CSI in these kinds of places where they dust for fingerprints, they look for clues. I love this phrase. I believe it was our old friend Robin Craddock who brought this idea to mind, to become detectives of divinity, to dust for the fingerprints of God. 
when they see and hear this voice of this person, they're not so sure who it is. When they see this huge catch of fish on the Sea of Galilee, they say that looks like the fingerprints of the one we've walked with and talked with and has blessed us before. He's here and he's blessed us again. Let me ask you this. Where have you seen the fingerprints of God in the last week? Maybe it's not 153 fish, but what's that moment in this week where you just paused and you said, that, that looks and feels and sounds like the one I've walked with and talked with. Do you have any of those moments? We talked about them together last Saturday in a different language, but for me, last Saturday was a fingerprint of God moment together. Amen? hearing stories of His goodness. This sounds like something God would do. I've shared this story before, but I was thinking of it as we were sitting here and singing, and I want to share it again because today was a closed closet day, and this is one of our dear friends from The Rock and the ministry that we've had around there. This is a young girl that had a birthday, and it was when we were doing the neighborhood table. And so she had a birthday, and we had seen her at the after-school program. And then she comes with her family on a Friday night, and we're having dinner together. And we said, hey, did you have a good birthday? I know it's been a couple days since we've seen you, but tell us what you've been up to the last two or three days. And she says, guys, you'll never believe it. And I said, what? She goes, well, when I woke up that next day after I saw you, and it was my birthday... I was walking to school, doing what I always do, and I looked down and I saw a $10 bill. Some of you have heard this story. Do you remember this story? Let me tell you what she said next. She said, and I knew it was God because it was my 10th birthday and he wanted to give me that $10. And I just sat there and one half of my brain was saying, what a wonderful coincidence. And then there's this other part of me nagging, just saying, hush, because wouldn't this be something that the one who said, let the children come to me, who delights in our presence, who delights when people recognize his goodness and his blessing and say, thank you. There's another part of me that just wanted to sit there and say, you know what? That is exactly something God would do on your 10th birthday. I love the fact that she named it. And she thanked God for it. She was a detective of divinity, dusting for the fingerprints of God. So you remember in our story, they, they make it to the shore and they, they know it's Jesus, but they're like, this Jesus is different. Isn't that interesting? Hasn't that always surprised you about these stories? There's something about the resurrected body of Jesus that looks and the same as the Jesus that they knew and walked with for three years. But there's also something about it that's fit not just for earth, but for heaven. And there's a quality of it that is just different and distinct enough that they can't help but mark down these clues that something is different. Now, Jesus has already been grilling. I love that they caught 153 fish and he's like, you can bring them, but I've already got fish and bread going and do you remember what he was grilling it on? Not just a fire, but a what? A charcoal fire. 
The way that these post-credit scenes go is they often tie up these loose ends. And you may remember in the story of Peter that on the night that Jesus was being uh, tried and tortured and crucified, Peter is around a charcoal fire. And they say, you were with him, right? He says, no. They said, yeah, man, you sound like him. Y'all got the same accent. He goes, no way. And he said, no, I'm pretty sure that I saw you. And he says, I swear, no. Just like Jesus said, he denied him three times around a charcoal fire. And isn't it something that on the other side of this enormous catch of fish, Jesus showing up in their workplace, their everyday life, then he invites him around a charcoal fire to the table so that he might ask him three times what question? Do you love me? And Peter says, yeah. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yeah, I just said that. And then he says, Peter, do you love me? And I think it's in that moment that Peter is starting to let the love of God and forgiveness wash over him. And that the three denials that stung are now being soothed and restored when he's given an opportunity to three times affirm that even though I've blown it, you still invite me to the table and invite me to feed sheep and serve you. Why? Because the table is Jesus' favorite place of inclusion and forgiveness. Can you mark that and remember that? Every week that we've been together, save for Easter and a few other times, we gather together at the table of communion. Not because we are worthy, but precisely because we're unworthy. The table is the place that Jesus has always loved to invite sinners and saints who recognize they need the bread and the wine. The prerequisite for the table is that you've come to Jesus who's invited you to come and have a meal. Amen? Some of us grew up in traditions that rightly and highly value communion or the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, depending on your tradition, and we ought to. Every week I reference Paul's teaching in the Corinthian letters about how you need to take this seriously. In fact, the Corinthian church took it so unseriously that it was inviting a lot of brokenness and darkness and division. And so he says, you should treat this seriously. But we can also hold on the other hand this wild and relentless grace that Jesus, who gave us this meal, shared it with a betrayer and a denier and deserters. Amen? So for those of you who have betrayed and denied and been out of sorts and out of steps, the invitation every week as God's people together is to come and eat because Jesus' favorite place of inclusion and forgiveness is the place we come and remember that he died so that he might give us forgiveness and life in his name. Amen? Jesus invades our workspace. Jesus invades our tables. I want to close just to reinforce this idea I've been orbiting around, but I want to illustrate it. So, Nora, can you help me and bring that up? I want to give you an illustration, and then I want to ask you a question. This is a picture. 
that my grandfather took, my other grandfather. My other grandfather would lead pilgrimages and trips to the Holy Land. And so they went to the Sea of Galilee. This is the Sea of Galilee. And in their tour group on this particular trip, they were there right around the time the sun was dawning. They were talking about this story and the other stories of Jesus and fish and fishermen around the Sea of Galilee in the very soil they stood. And in his own kind of full circle moment, he sees this fishing boat that honestly is probably around the same size as Peter and John and Thomas and the others. And he said, hey, like Jesus, you catch anything? And this guy holds open this fish for just a moment, enough of a moment for my grandfather to snap this picture and consider how Jesus must have felt standing on those same shores seeing these fishermen hold up their fish. I love this picture because it's our modern day version of what we've just read, but I also love this picture because of the color. Do you see these? What colors do you see, kiddos? Yellow, orange, blue. It's the colors of dawn. It's the colors of the sun breaking over the darkness. And I love this picture as we see the fishermen and the fish because it reminds me of this. And this is my last big idea I'd love for you to take hold of. The risen Christ colors our places of familiarity like work and table or a sandy seashore. The risen Christ colors our places of familiarity with new creation possibility. Because when they've struggled and they've found that their nets are empty, the risen Christ comes and fills it to the brim and colors that familiar place of loss and brokenness with new possibility. Amen? Because when the risen Christ shows up and invites us to the table where we once were betrayers and deniers, we're now friends who can confess that we love you even when we failed you. Why? Because the risen Christ colors familiar places with the new creation possibilities. It colors your world and your life. So I'll leave you. Before we get to this question, so many of us talk about a spiritual life. Christians love to talk about our spiritual life. But the reality is we only have a life. You with me? We love to compartmentalize and say, this is my work life, this is my home life, this is my spiritual life, this is my this life. But in reality, right now, where you sit, living and breathing, you just have life. So maybe the question is less about your spiritual life and more about your life lived one moment out of time. And the question becomes, are you in step with the spirit of life and new creation and possibility and resurrection? Are you in step or are you out of step? 
your only life, your everyday life, where you work and you eat and you meet together and you drive and you are angry and you're upset and you're hurting? What if every moment was an invitation to see the colors of new creation and possibility precisely when your net is empty and you feel seen that Christ may actually be here wanting to restore you? What if, like Peter, every moment was an opportunity to radically believe and accept that you've been accepted? What if every moment of your everyday life, when you're tempted to lash out, rage out, numb out, is actually an invitation to come to Jesus and find rest because now new creation has broken in. So maybe it's just a matter of this. Attention and intention. Attention, like John and Peter means you're looking up. You're becoming detectives of divinity. Are we aware and paying attention when we're at school and work and home and doing dishes? It also becomes a matter of intention. Intention. You've heard these words in our church and I want to bring them back to our consciousness. Intention is also showing up. You with me? I want to reflect and this is my last question. What does it look like when you're working without Jesus? Close your eyes and think of your life. Think to the week ahead, whatever work means for you. Parenting, housekeeping, working a job, driving, running errands, grocery shopping, conversing, school, What would it look like this week to work without any attention or intention? What would it look like to just go on and cast your nets without Jesus? What are some adjectives popping to your head? Now, imagine the sun dawning The same week that you just imagined, the same work that you just imagined, but this time the colors of dawn filling in. What does the attentive life look like this week? Looking up, dusting for the fingerprints. What does it look like? What does the intentional life look like? Not just winding up, but showing up. What does it look like now on Tuesday? What does it look like next Friday? What does it look like with the colors of new creation, knowing Christ is inviting your attention and intention? What if the risen Christ is on the shore at arm's reach, inviting you to work with him, inviting him to eat with him. Let's pray. Father, we pray that this church would be attentive to you this week. We pray that we would be attentive to you right now in this moment because it's the only moment that you've given us. It's the only moment that we have. And there's grace enough for this moment, meeting us, calling us and inviting us to see new possibility where we only see familiarity and mundanity. So we ask that we would be attentive. We ask this week, Lord, that you would give us the courage and the space 
to be intentional, to show up with you each day, each morning, each evening. Because we want to be people shaped and formed by the risen Jesus in step with the living breath of God, the Holy Spirit. We want to be held in the embrace of the one you taught us to call Abba. We pray this in the name of Christ and for his sake. Amen. Amen. At this time, I would love for us to celebrate communion together. Not because we are worthy, but precisely because we are unworthy, yet made worthy by the presence of Christ, by the sacrifice of Christ that has brought forgiveness and new life to the world. So if you have one of those communion packs, and if you have said yes to Jesus, I've accepted your invitation to come to you, to come follow you, this is the meal that he's left for us, for you. So take just a moment reflecting on whatever it is that is stirred within you as the wind blows through you, knowing that the one who walked so long ago is still walking, who talked so long ago is still talking. And if you haven't yet, hear these words and let's receive this meal together. Paul said that on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And if you haven't already, would you take that wafer and become attentive to the presence of Christ in this time, in this place, in this moment with you? Take another breath and another moment and consider that in some mysterious way, you have brought Christ within your body, within your very self. He's with you. And in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant, this new relationship forged by my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this time, would you take that cup of juice, become attentive to him and his presence in this moment as you take and drink. Christ, we are grateful for the meal that you have left and the people that you have given. May you nourish us, guide us, lead us in this moment and each that you will give us. Confident that the risen Christ has gone ahead of us into our work, into our tables, into our lives and our struggles. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.